Welcome to the Fellowship College Podcast. I am an Enneagram 7. Well, we're back to you in the studio. Thank you so much for listening. We basically do this podcast for ourselves and so for (laughs) the dozens of you out there listening. Thanks for just entertaining us and giving us an excuse to keep being here in this podcast studio. It's, It's good team bonding for us. We do love it. We do love it. We love when Josh says random things in the intros and interrupts. It's it's adds a lot of value. It it will apply later to this podcast. We love the Enneagram here. I base my whole life around it. That's healthy. Thank you. So Thanksgiving, I believe, is right around the corner. We're recording this podcast at a at a different time. It's not even Halloween right now, I'll be honest. But when you're listening to this, it should be right around Thanksgiving time. And so my question for you guys is, what is your favorite Thanksgiving dish? I grew up going to my great-grandmother's house, and without fail, every time she would always make a sweet potato casserole. And it was like the one that had, I mean, you get like the pecans and stuff going on the top. It's like, it's basically pecans a Pecans or peca- pecans? Pecans. <laughs> I'm not quite that Southern. Pecans or pecans. Yeah. Um, but it's got the brown sugar and it is just delightful. So is that it, was always mine. Is it a dessert? You could eat it. With, I mean, it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's the great thing about Thanksgiving is that even if it is a dessert, you just throw it all on the same plate and you just go to town. You're like, okay. these carbs are great, but what they could really use is some sugar. Yeah. <laughs> Did yours have marshmallows on them too? Uh, so yams, like baked yams, yes. Are they the same thing? It's just Sweet potatoes and thing. yams? Yeah, they're the same thing. No mm, way. Slightly different. It's a different dish. It's at least a different what? dish. That's not what we had, no. Okay. But that is really good. Okay, well, that one's mine. My favorite Ooh. is when you have like the sweet potatoes with the- The yams the marshmallows. the sweet potatoes? I, they're the same thing. I hold to that. Um, with marshmallows on top and brown sugar and pecans. And the, yeah, that's, that's my favorite as well. Amazing. Joanna? Interesting. Yeah, this is I, weird. I don't, I've been to maybe two Thanksgiving dinners in my life. I moved to the United States when I was 12 years old and from, our, for, from India and we don't have Thanksgiving. Um, and the first Thanksgiving we had over at a friend's house, they were like, this food is amazing. This is like the best meal you'll have like all year. Okay, like this is it. And you're like, wow, it's all the same color. It's all <laughs> orange and tan and beige and no, no, really, fried and carbs. No. And I was, I was stressed. Okay, I was like, are we gonna eat somewhere else after this? Because this ain't it. I'm sorry, everyone. I not a Thanksgiving food person. Okay. Joanna and I are 100 percent on the same page today, <laughs> to the point where I've talked to my wife Lauren about when we, like our family is older and we have Thanksgiving together we're just throwing it all out and we're doing fajitas we're gonna do mexican food so y'all are all invited to the barnard house for our mexican themed thanksgiving we're gonna have fajitas nachos queso all that stuff because that's a true celebration that's a a true fiesta (laughs) (laughs) i do eat that way more often on a daily basis than most other thanksgiving foods oh yeah i'm here for it and then I think we're going to do like sushi for Christmas Eve or Ooh. something like that. So we're just really That's great. kind of paving our own path. I also did just get a, a message from our uh, sound engineer 
And he said that yams and sweet potatoes are very, very, very different. Okay. And there's actually sweet potato farmers out there that are wildly offended by your comments. Oh. So somebody sent help. Help. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyways, we will move on. We will will move on since... uh, since creating uh, kind of new holiday themes is is one of my gifts, I thought it would be a uh, a good time today to talk about spiritual gifts and how we see those <laughs> in the church. I'm also getting a lot of thumbs down for that <laughs> transition. Not my best transition today, but we'll carry on. And so spiritual gifts, again, one of those those conversations that can lead to a little bit of controversy and division in the church, uh, between denominations and between even religions, stuff like that. So let's talk about that. What, so let's start here. What are spiritual gifts? Where do we see them? Mm. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a few places where, you know, they're specifically uh, spoken of Romans 12 is one Paul lists them out. Um, probably the most popular passage, especially whenever, uh, you know, if you hear people debating about spiritual gifts or you're trying to find, okay, where's the list of spiritual gifts to, you know, figure out where mine is. First um, Corinthians 12 uh, is where a kind of a long list of them uh, are. And specifically in First Corinthians, Paul, uh, he's, he's writing to the Corinthian church and he's basically trying to correct them on a lot of ways in which they're relating to each other and how they're going about their um, congregational like worship gatherings. And he specifically addresses spiritual gifts. So 12 through 14, uh, those chapters are where he really hits on it. And then there's, um, there's some like random miscellaneous ones out there. Like, uh, when, uh, Paul talks about having a gift of celibacy, it's like, it's used similarly, but not exactly the same way. And so there's some like random things out there, but Romans 12, first Corinthians 12, um, some people lump Ephesians four in there where it talks about, uh, God giving the church, the apostles, um, evangelists, pastors, teachers, preachers, those things. Um, there's debate even around that. And so basically each of these lists uh, that are given, people disagree about them a little bit as to what exactly they mean and how they're applied. And whether they're exhaustive or not. Like, are mm-hmm. the, Do you guys think these are like all the gifts that we have to choose from? We look at this list. Someone re- read the list for us that we, that we have at least uh, – like one of one of the lists. Yeah, so I'll just read out literally all the, all of the explicit gifts that are stated in scripture um, would be the ones from Romans 12 are is the gifts of exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, prophecy, service, teaching. 1 Corinthians 12 is administration, apostle, discernment, faith, healings, helps, knowledge, miracles, prophecy, teaching, tongues, interpretation of tongues, wisdom, Ephesians 4 would be apostle, evangelist, pastor, uh, prophet, teaching. And then some of the miscellaneous ones are, like I said, celibacy, hospitality, um, being a missionary. There's a couple other random ones there, but that's basically the ones that are exactly stated. And do you all think these this list is exhaustive? What I mean by that is, are these all the gifts that I could have? I have to choose from these this list? I don't think so. Um, we I know you have the gift of ice skating, so that's, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's actually, that I don't think that gift uh, builds up the body of Christ. So, um, therefore I don't think that would be a gift, which, whoa, mm-hmm. we can talk about why we have gifts too. Whoa. Is that a good transition? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Eileen, what's the, even the purpose of spiritual gifts? Why do we even have them? Thank you for asking. I would love to tell you. <laughs> um, spiritual gifts are um, given to us by the Spirit to build one another up, um, to help the church, to help the body of Christ. Um, and, oh gosh, I think it's, what's the passage? First Peter 4, maybe, um, that talks about how if, like, we are to use our gifts to glorify the Lord. Um, and so in the case of me just being really talented at figure skating, I would not say that is a gift from the Holy Spirit because that does not build up the church. Um, however, someone who has the gift of teaching um, and they're using that gift to um you know, exposit the word of the Lord and and help other people understand God's word, man, that is them using their gift to build up the body of Christ and to encourage one another. Yeah, that's good. In First uh, Corinthians 14, Paul uh, also, he hits on that a lot. He uses an analogy of the body. Um, so it's like we think about each believer um, is like a body part and we have a function together in which Jesus is the head of the body. We're supposed to build each other up. And in verse 12 of chapter 14, he says, uh, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit, which is these gifts of the spirit, these uh, abilities in which the spirit enables believers to do them. He says to strive to excel in building up the church. Uh, and so for the Corinthians, they were like, really excited uh, about all these spiritual gifts. And we'll get into a couple of specific ones here in a minute. But um, he's like, hey, if you're excited about these spiritual gifts, like that's great. Excel in building up the church with them. Don't just focus on them as in like, oh, look at this cool thing that I have. I'm going to just go do this. It's like, no, it's it's for other people. Actually, it's specifically for other believers and other believers living together. Well, and to add to that, Paul, in that chapter, in chapter 14, when talking about prophecy and tongues, which we'll get there. If you're listening and you want to hear about that, we're heading in that direction. But he talks about how certain gifts are for building up the church. I would say the majority, but he also says there are some gifts that are for non-believers or the outsiders as well. So I would even add to, to the purpose, not only building up the church, that's probably the main one, but also for furthering the kingdom of God in, in the places that you live. Yeah. Which is kind of like, it's like physically adding to like the adding church. adding to the church. Even. Yeah. You can, so yeah. it's like making the, the <laughs> church as it exists now stronger, but then also just adding, like he uses the brick analogy for building up this temple. It's like, Hey, look, we got this new brick because he started following Jesus. And it was because maybe one of these gifts were expressed and they believed in God because of it. So some of y'all listening might be hearing this and like, man, I, I would love to be a part of this. I want, I want to build up the church. I want to further the kingdom of God, but I just, I just don't have any gifts or maybe I just don't know what my spiritual gifts are. If that's someone listening, how, how do they figure out what their spiritual gifts are? Take a test. <laughs> right? Like the Enneagram, right? Get on the internet. Uh, just, look kidding. What's like. just kidding. Just, yeah, do um, there are many uh, spiritual gift tests out there, which, Hey, Fun. Um, however, Fun. What's, your, what's your favorite spiritual gift test? Oh, um, I don't. Do you take a lot of those quizzes? I oh, I do. I, I love, was gonna say. I love personality you seem, tests. You seem like a person that. What's <laughs> your What's your uh, Harry Potter like house? What What house are you in? Are you a Gryffindor? I, I, I don't know. Oh, you didn't read Harry Potter because of no, sorcery. Oh, uh, no. Uh, I, I just didn't read Harry Potter. <laughs> okay. Anyways, spiritual. Okay. Gift. <laughs> 
<laughs> What's your Enneagram? <laughs> um, I think I'm a one. I've also heard people say that I'm a two. So, you know, somewhere in there, but I think I'm a one. Nice. Anyway, this is not the point. The point is that <laughs> um, spiritual gift tests kind of, I mean, you can fall into self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you want to be a teacher, you know those questions they're asking are. Do you like being up on stage with Hayes and, <laughs> and a face mic? I do like that. I'm a teacher. Wow. So the best way to figure out the gifts that the Lord has given you are to ask your friends. Like go to people who know you, who've seen you, um, you know, in your everyday life, seen you um, serving or teaching or doing life and ask them what they see in you. I Mm -hmm. could not agree more. Seriously, if you're listening to this, Pause, pause this podcast right now. Text your three closest friends, the ones that know you the best, the ones that have seen you in ministry, have seen you uh, serving, those kind of things, and ask them, hey, what do you think my spiritual gifts are? And that is truly going to be the best way for you to figure out what those what those gifts are. Yeah. And you know, what we're thinking about, Hey, what, what are my gift? What is my gift? What are my gifts? Um, in that first Corinthians 12, uh, through 14 section, uh, Paul says that the spirit has given an apportion of, of grace or, or a gift to each believer. And so you should expect if you are following Jesus, you have God's spirit in you working in power that he is going to gift you in in something in order to, again, like we said, build up the church, to build up believers around you, to win people to uh, the kingdom. And so you should expect that. Uh, but he also says that the spirit apportions these gifts as he wills. And so it's one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, if, if somebody looks at a certain gift and is like, man... I love that gift, but I just know I'm not good in that. Or maybe you're like, you really want to be good in that thing, but it's like, Hey, God's trying to use you in a different way. It's there. You kind of have to have an open hand as to, Hey, what are these, what it actually is my gift and how do I leverage that and not, you know, envy maybe some type of gift that somebody else has. Yeah. And in that body metaphor that Paul continues to use, he says that we shouldn't be jealous of other people's gifts that, if everybody was a hand or a foot or an eyeball, then the the body would be purposeless. The body would not be able to function nearly as well if you have a hand and an eye and a foot and all these different members of the body. And so just because you don't have the same gifts as someone else, like Paul's, Paul's saying, you have these for a specific reason. Don't be jealous of someone else's gifts be faithful in the ones that that you've been given. And now let me give a little caveat. The church in America specifically, this is kind of the context that we're in, has done a really, really poor job of making all gifts seem equal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't view gifts the way God views gifts. We say, well, if you want to be like a really good Christian, uh, you know, if you want to like really be like famous or like, people want to see you then oh you have to have the gift of of teaching and if like teaching has been specifically has been like the one that like i feel like the church has really elevated and so everyone's like oh well i I have to i have to be a teacher i have to like that's how i get recognition that's how i become famous that's how people will start to see me as like this really good christian 
and we've we've elevated certain gifts above above other ones. And so people see things like serving, which just to say was was one of Jesus's greatest gifts. I think Jesus had all these gifts, but is one of the gifts he used the most and the gifts that he probably esteemed the highest. Like he didn't come to be served but to serve. We we view that as like okay, I'll like I'll be behind the scenes for a while until I'll until they trust me and then I'll get to kind of be on the big stage. When it's like those who vacuum and take out the trash and and do these behind the thing behind the scenes things, those gifts are just as important as a as the person on stage singing, teaching, or doing any of those things. Yeah, that's I think of in um in Acts whenever the church is growing, uh, basically it's like the apostles are they're starting to lead these like communities of believers and they're, you know, teaching the scriptures and they're leading these um, times where they come together and uh, they're trying to help meet the needs of widows and the poor and do all these things that Jesus has commanded us as believers to do. And it gets to the point where there are so many people in the church, uh, both who are just, you know, they're doing their everyday thing, but also people who are in need that they decide, Hey, it's not, it's not good for us to step away from these specific roles that Jesus himself has given us as the apostles. Hey, they're going out, they're taking the gospel, these new places, they're preaching the word says that praying was like one of their specific roles. Like Jesus gave us these things, but we have so many people in need that it's taking away from that. So let's appoint deacons. So if you guys have heard the word deacon, uh, it just means a servant. Um, and it's, and people still, uh, churches oftentimes use that role, that word for that role still. And it's people to help fulfill and meet the physical needs of the community around them, both believers and non-believers a lot of the time. And some of the people that they chose to be deacons, they're described as being, having a strong, powerful filling of the spirit. And they were literally basically just like serving food to like poor widows, but they were, it was specifically noted that the spirit was working very strongly. They were very strong uh, people of God. Uh, and so Josh, exactly what you're saying. It's like, that was specifically noted in that early church and Luke wrote it in Acts. <laughs> so that's something that we should pay attention yeah. to that it could be things like that or whatever our context might be. Maybe the spirit's just going off in somebody and they're they're playing this servant type role, like a deacon type role um, that's incredibly advancing the kingdom. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Yeah, um, and I think it kind of goes both ways. If you have the gift of, say, teaching or singing or being a worship leader, for example, those gifts that tend to be um, a little more like sought after, maybe because it gives you a platform and there's those gifts that have that tendency that people tend to idolize and want to be like, um, really search your heart in those places. Um, what are you using your gifts for? Um, I think as someone that leads worship and y'all can probably speak to this as people that teach, um, every day is a constant. I have to remind myself who I'm doing this for, that it is for the Lord and it is for the church and it is not to bring any glory to myself whatsoever. So I think if you do have those giftings, definitely search your heart, change, keep your perspective in check every single day. Um, but then also for those people that are gifted in, roles that aren't that and are called more to serve and do the behind the scenes stuff. Um, keep your perspective in check as well. Like don't idolize those gifts. Like the Lord has given you a gift. And as people that work in a church, as people that work 
with other people that are doing the behind the scenes stuff, we are so, so grateful for what they do. And we could not pull off a service or pull off anything that we do without them. And so we see the importance of those gifts firsthand. Um, and so just to y'all that have those behind the scenes gift, like we see the importance in that and like the Lord can use those so powerfully. We've seen yeah. that. I think all of us have. Yeah. Wow. That's really well said. And so <clears throat> everything we talked about so far hasn't, I don't think it's been like super controversial, but where this topic does cause some sort of division is where we start to talk about what's called the sign gifts. So specifically prophecy and tongues, but you can even throw in dreams and visions, healing, miracles, yeah, healing, miracles yeah. those type of things that has often divided the church has been a part of why there's different denominations even. And so let's wrestle with that today. What, what do we know about these sign gifts specifically from the Bible? Yeah, that's uh. There is, is, you know, it's mentioned specifically, um, like Paul mentions it specifically in First Corinthians. He goes through it in chapter 12 and lists out uh, that long list and includes prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, miracles, healings, things like that. Uh, but we also see it just in the narrative of Scripture, um, especially the early church, uh, the acts of the apostles by the power of the Spirit. Um, and... They, I mean, they're doing all kinds of stuff, specifically the apostles. Uh, you hear, you see, as you read, you see over and over again, the apostles are, you know, they're going out, they're preaching the gospel in new places, they're teaching believers. And then there'll be this story of um, somebody who has this crazy illness um, and they end up just praying over them in some fashion and they're healed. Or people, it literally says people were trying to just like get into like Peter's shadow because the spirit was just doing something crazy and they're getting healed by these things. Some dude falls asleep while listening to Paul preaching and then dies. And Paul's like, ah, just get back up. Yeah. Just get back up. <laughs> like raise him from the dead. Yeah. And so, you know, you read a lot of those in, in acts and it's, you know, a lot of those, there's these apostles that are, that are working these things out. And, um, a lot of that seems to be, uh, and this is one of the big arguments. It's like those, those sign gifts, those miracles, and you lump tongues into that and things like, um, basically all the sign gifts, uh, as a proving of this word that's going out, which makes a lot of sense because there's this new gospel message about this new King, one true God. And, you know, especially in a pagan place, it's like these displays of power. It's like, Oh, your God really is the one true God. You know, that makes sense. There's also lay people that are described, um, in, in acts, there's this guy who's a part of the church and he has two daughters and they both prophesy. Uh, and so it's like, what exactly does that mean? It didn't, it didn't expound on it. It just says that there are these two girls in the church who are prophesying and they're not in any type of, they're not like an apostle or in a teacher of the church or anything. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's listed out a lot in that narrative of there are these believers of Jesus who are being empowered by the spirit to do these gifts that they're called sign gifts because they're, they're pointing to some aspect about who God is. Uh, and it's kind of just littered all throughout the the early church enough to the point where Paul writes to the Corinthians who end up abusing a couple of these sign gifts. The Corinthian church is kind of a mess, which is why Paul's writing to them and he's correcting them and how they ought to be participating and using these gifts. He doesn't tell them don't do this. He actually says like, he says eagerly desire to prophesy. He's, he would love for everybody to prophesy. Um, but he's like, there's no appropriate use of all of these gifts. And so that's, that's great. Let's talk about the two camps, which each side has 
I would say a pit that they could could fall into. Jacob kind of already mentioned one. So what are these two sides uh, of the argument when we talk about sign gifts? Yeah, uh, so there is cessationism and continuationism. The words kind of give it away a little bit, <laughs> uh, but cessationism is uh, with that root word of ceasing. So people who fall into that camp would claim that um, these gifts have ceased um, with the close of the canon. Um, like they are no longer after, you know, the, the first apostles, after they passed away, these gifts are uh, no longer present in our world. Prophecy, tongues, mm-hmm. Ten- healings. Yeah, healings. Yep, no more. Um, so Specifically people, the sign gifts. Yes. Yes. They wouldn't lump in like teaching and administration and those types of things. Yes, thank yeah. you. Um, so people that fall into that camp would include like John MacArthur. Um, and then you have continuationism. And so that is just the flip side of that, that um, these sign gifts are continuing on into our world today. Um, and so people um, that would fall into that would be like John Mark Homer. He's a, a name that we tend to know around here. But um, gosh, I think it can get prickly and people can get kind of angry when they um, are talking about these things. But I think if we go back to what the point of spiritual gifts are, um, you know, they're to raise up um, the church, to better the church, to further the kingdom. Um, and so I guess just like showing my cards here, Let's hear it. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I am a continuationist, but I think like here in America, we're not seeing healing or tongues or prophecy um, in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. The same way. I mean, I I feel like in our culture, in our world, maybe those gifts wouldn't be as influential to building the kingdom as they would elsewhere. Um, I mean, gosh, I mean, I hear stories from global workers and um, people that have gone on mission trips and gone overseas. Like the 1040 window. Yeah. In the 1040 window. And people are having dreams about Jesus. People are going to a people group where they don't speak the language and they are being able to communicate with these people. Um, And so that, that could lead us into talking about tongues and kind of what that definition is. If someone wants to expound upon that. (laughs) Yeah. Anyone want to take that one? What, what we'll talk about tongues and prophecy. We only have a couple minutes, Mm -hmm. tongues and prophecy. Again, Kind of to, sorry, I, we jumped on, but to ra- wrap up that yeah, yeah. that thing, the two pitfalls that you can fall into. Everyone in this room thinks that I, I would say we're continuationists because I haven't, I don't see anything in the Bible or in church history that would cause me to think that these gifts have stopped. The only argument I would say for cessationism is that we just don't see them in the same way. But so the pitfall that we can have as a, as a cessationist would be to to say that like oh God God's just not gonna work work in those same ways God's not going to do these things that he used to do and a lot of that revolves around not trusting the spirit not relying on the spirit and then as Jacob said the pitfall for the conti- continuists continuationists would be to almost worship the gift over the giver to to want these things so bad and in such a way that it's like that's that's what I'm basing my, my Christian life around. That's what I'm like searching after. And we almost make an idol out of these gifts instead of using them to, to want to, to worship the giver, but also to, to build up the kingdom. (laughs) Thank you for answering the question that I did not respond to. (laughs) (laughs) But you did give some great insight. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) So, so prophecy and tongues are, there are two that Paul spends a lot of time talking about. There are two that cause a lot of division 
as someone that's trying to take the middle ground to say, Hey, I, I do believe these gifts still exist, but I'm not really sure what they mean or, or how they're used in the church today. How would you answer that question? Yeah, that's a uh, prophecy specifically is a really tricky one because again, you see it a lot in just the narrative of the new Testament as the church is beginning, but there's not a lot of uh, expounding that happens on explaining it. Uh, and this is actually a, a really big one. If you get like into some really the theological debates behind it, what will divide people as to does prophecy still exist? Because, you know, some people be like, Hey, prophecy just means prophecy. Whenever you read all the Bible, that's what it means. So then you get into the question of, okay, well, you know, Isaiah was a prophet and he was speaking on behalf of God. It doesn't seem like people now, because we have Jesus speak on behalf of God. Uh, and it's like, yeah, I would totally agree with that. That makes sense. Um, some of the examples that we see of prophecy in scripture, um, it's, I think as I read scripture and as I, even as I've talked with people who know way more about this than I do for like seminary professors and people who have a lot of experience with it, there's a lot of different things that could maybe be titled as prophecy. And so, you know, if God impresses upon you this like thought of, you know, you're talking with somebody and it's like, oh my gosh, like I think maybe this thing's happening in this person's life and they didn't tell me about it and you bring it up and it just like encourages them so much or it breaks them down to the point where they like repent of some type of sin. Yeah. Some people would say that is that is an aspect of New Testament prophecy. Some people would disagree. Some people would be like, oh, it's maybe more of a word of knowledge, you know, things like that. There's a lot of different ways you could go with prophecy. Um, but in some, I think it's, it is mainly God is using via the power of the spirit to impress upon you some thing in order to meet some type of need again for the building up of the church. So whether that's calling somebody repentance or that's encouraging or help having, letting you know something that somebody hasn't told you in order to meet a need, those types of things, a lot of people would say, Hey, that falls into prophecy. You get into tongues and this one gets a little more divisive just because of kind of an abuse. And like you said, Josh, a, just this desire to like, there, there are denominations in the Protestant church who would say that unless you demonstrate speaking in tongues, you don't actually, you don't have like full salvation. You don't have this fullest expression of the spirit. The second baptism of yeah, the spirit. Stuff yeah. like that. Um, which is absolutely not true. It's like, you can't find that in scripture. You can find places in scripture where it's like, I kind of see where they get that from, but I don't think it's accurate. And so, uh, but tongues basically as you read in like whenever Paul writes about it, uh, and, and, and acts, especially Pentecost, Pentecost and acts two is the first time that we see it. And it is the spirit enabling somebody to speak some type of language that is unknown to the speaker. So when it first happens in acts two, uh, it's during this big festival where people from all over the world are coming to worship God. They speak different languages and the apostles start speaking these other people's languages, uh, telling of these great things that God has done and they hear them in their own language. Yeah. So just to clarify, it's unknown to the speaker, but it's understood by either the interpreter or by the audience. That's exactly. So yeah. So if the audience specifically speaks the language, the tongue being spoken, then it's supposed to build them up in some capacity. That's what we see in Acts 2. He does list a gift of being able to interpret tongues. So this was one of the problems in the Corinthian church. There were a bunch of people who were speaking in various tongues, and they were just doing it all over the place. There was no order to it. It was kind of chaos in the gathering. And there was also nobody to interpret that. And so yeah. Paul says, hey, if you have this 
this, if you have this gift or this impression of I'm going to speak in this language that I don't know for some reason, and there is nobody there to interpret in the gathering, don't do it <laughs> because it's only helpful whenever it's understood. Uh, and that's the big point in specifically first Corinthians 12 through 14. Uh, and so some people are going to look to whenever Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, uh, that they take that as this kind of personal prayer language. That's maybe not even like this, uh, they would say a, a human tongue, but rather a supernatural tongue. It's like, it's not a language that any humans know. It's just the spirit doing things in you basically. Um, that's one verse kind of, that really is that backing. I think it's kind of a weak argument. Um, but I don't think it's a hill to die on as long as it's not dividing. That's the issue that we're kind of talking about in some here is, yeah, well, let's find these spiritual gifts that we have to live out, to build up the body, but we absolutely should, should not be letting these spiritual gifts divide us, especially if we're actually practicing them, uh, in accordance with how they're given us to practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I think whether you say it's like a personal prayer language or, or not, Paul, Paul reiterates in that same passage, a very clear theme that, that somebody has to understand it. If, if it's kind of sounds like gibberish or nobody's understanding it, or there's no interpreter, whether it's a prayer language or not, he says, don't do it. If no one's understanding it, like, it is, it's actually divisive and distracting than it is uh, unifying and upbuilding for, for the church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that basically understanding that and then depending on what side you fall in, like I have one of my best friends is basically like kind of just full-blown cessationist. Uh, and I have really good friends and I even come from a background of very much continuationist. Um, you talk about the more charismatic side for the technical definition or technical term, uh, of the church in America. Uh, we can be really nasty to each other <laughs> sometimes and we can act like, Oh, you charismatic people don't know any theology and you don't care about understanding anything. You're just all, all feely emotions. And then they're like, well, you cessationist people, you, you don't love Jesus at all. And you, you're not going to let this, you're going to quench like the spirit or you're self-reliant. You're just doing yeah, this all on your own. Strength. Exactly. Yeah. And that is, those are the two big ditches that if you find yourself falling into that, even thinking about it like that, you need to really check your heart. Um, because even if one of those two are just absolutely true, behaving like that with another believer in Christ and thinking like that is literally the exact opposite thing that Paul is directly addressing whenever he talks about the gifts. It's supposed to be unifying for the church. And so whenever we start throwing shade and hostility at other sides of the camp, um, especially if you end up very far on one of those other sides of the camp, you're absolutely in the wrong. And that is one thing uh, to, to be aware of even though it can be hard if you're hurt by one of those two camps, which I've had experience on both sides uh, of the aisle with. And so that's something that's, man, that takes a while and it's kind of hard to move through sometimes, but it's very important for your own walk with God. Shoot. That was good. <laughs> that was good. Um, I hate, these podcasts just fly by. I hope as a listener, it flies by too. And you're not like, oh, is this thing over yet? But the two things that we want to leave you with, I wish we could, talk about this more and more and hopefully in further in next seasons, we will continue to kind of dive deeper and talk more about these things. But again, the two things that we want to leave you with is right in the middle 
of this section that Paul's talking about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. You should, you should read that section. Right in the middle is this really, really famous passage about love. And we love to talk about love, especially in these wedding <laughs> contexts. It's like, wow, like we're going to love is patient. Love is kind. Like love seeks no wrong. Like, okay. Tell me you haven't done a wedding. Y- you for sure have done a wedding with that passage. Never. I, no. I tell people I won't do it <laughs> Good, because I have them pick. And anyway, that's a different, <laughs> I have them pick a passage, but I say it can't be first Corinthians 13 because it's not necessarily about weddings, this famous passage about love is all about spiritual gifts in the church. At the at the root, as Joanna was saying earlier, at the root of your spiritual gift, you have to check what is my motive, what is my intention, and is it love? And if it's not love, then he then Paul says you're just a noisy gong. You're just making a lot of noise, you're making a lot of commotion, but it's actually fruitless and purposeless. And I would even go as far to say the spirit is not in it if love is not involved. So it's not a spiritual gift if love is not at the center of it. So that's the first thing I kind of want to leave you with. And the second thing is Paul says in Romans 12, we're talking about spiritual gifts, talking about, hey, we each have these different gifts to build up the church. And he says, I've skipped over this phrase so many times, but he says, let us use them. Such a simple phrase, such an easy phrase to skip over, but it's so important. We can talk for hours and hours about what's your spiritual gift? What's your spiritual gift? Okay, what, let's. here's where we disagree. If you are not using your spiritual gifts and you're just talking about them, then this whole thing is pointless. And so when you text your friends today and ask, hey, what, what do you think are my spiritual gifts? And they tell you, go and use those to build up the church, to further the kingdom, and and go and make disciples and continue to to use those gifts in love. Amen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen <laughs> and hallelujah. And so again, so many things we could say about this, but that's all you get today. Until next time. Grace, Grace and peace. peace.